This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. For today's show, we expect to bring back some folks we've spoken with before. Sacramento political activist David Lynch has a thing or two to say about the new smart meters being installed. And we expect to visit in our third segment by Kyle Larson, who educated us some year back on the subject of how cannabis got banned back in the 1930s. We will not be talking about that today, but rather doing a follow-up on our discussion of the passing of the great Jerry Lieber. may not have been a familiar name to you, but we can assure you, you know about his songs. We're going to uh, play a few more of those today. Have some fun with that. It's a great pleasure for us to operate on a non-commercial radio station. We are, of course, a public affairs program and don't talk about music a great deal, but music is part of our lives. I mean, who doesn't enjoy a wonderful tune now and again, like the following? That, folks, is a bit of an inside joke. If you're part of the KDVS listserv, you'll, you'll understand the humor that lies in that. For the rest of you, I'll just say that that's a tune I enjoy. But lest we bog down, let's jump into the thing we like to start each show with, which is on this date in history, the date in question today would be the 6th of October. It was on October 6th in 69 BC, and of course we all remember this one, the Armenian king Tigranes II, who built up a considerable empire in Armenia over 20 years, was beaten by the invading Roman armies under Lucullus. Though the Armenian empire was quickly swallowed up by Rome, Tigranes was allowed to stay on as a client ruler. I guess his ability at politicking enabled him to be known to history as Tigranes II the Great. Had he lived in California, he would have been known as the King of Fresno. And that is a line we stole from the ancient history class of Professor Spiridakis here at UC Davis. But continuing on with this date in history, on October 6th in the year 891, Formosus was elected Pope. Formosus is best remembered for his posthumous trial conducted by his successor in which his exhumed body was set upon a throne and it was decided that he was not a Pope after all. Aww. It's nice to know that there are some court systems even worse than our own. October 6th in 1790, the German Jacob Schwepp, wait for it, yes, indeed, demonstrated how to make artificial mineral water, something which bottlers have been doing ever since, including the manufacturers of mineral water, which personally, I think, tastes a lot better without gas. And I should note that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. Some of whom, we feel certain, probably do prefer mineral water with gas. Finally, today's a red-letter day for radio. On this date in 1911, the first Trans-Pacific radio conversation took place between California and Japan. Our quote of the day was sent to us by Jason. It's from Abraham Lincoln and is as follows. The trouble with quotes on the internet is you never know if they're genuine. 
All right, quip of the day comes from Jimmy Fallon, who said last week, First Lady Michelle Obama was spotted shopping at Target. She told the Secret Service to keep, it, keep their eyes peeled. Not for threats, just for the person that actually works at Target. And our joke of the day comes from Conan O'Brien, who a few weeks back said the Republican presidential candidates will have a debate at the Reagan Library. They were going to have it at the George W. Bush Library, but they apparently couldn't fit all eight of them into the bouncy house. Our stat of the day is $400 million. That's the amount the manufacturers of the new San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge apparently saved by outsourcing much of the work to China. All right, should we do follow-up or good, bad, and the ugly? Mr. McMillan opts for follow-up. So let's talk about uh, the roads in Colombia. For Proud to Note, we reported on this topic last December, but uh, The Economist magazine just caught up with us, noting in the September 17th issue that uh, Colombia's infrastructure, described as a creaking transport network, is holding back the country's economic growth. Apparently, Juan Martin, who's president of the Colombian Infrastructure Chamber, referred to their transport system as having a monumental backwardness. Article reports that moving goods inland to Colombian cities from uh, their ports can be more expensive than shipping them from the port to a market halfway around the globe. They quoted a truck driver as noting, noting that a 410-kilometer trip from Bogota to Cali can take 14 hours on one of the better routes. And this uh, does remind me that uh, I, I did promise to put on... Uh, a little video clip of driving in Colombia, and I've not yet done so. Our website does need an update, but, uh, you know, we, we will get on that clip from driving in Colombia and also some surfing out in Hawaii, I hope. If we've got the technology, I, I guess we ought to, ought to use it. And we talked a few weeks back with someone who was an expert on the tracking of submarines, and I had to have a laugh at the article from Michael Melia printed in the Sacramento Bee about how the Navy may be forced to lengthen its submarine deployments. To quote from the article, the Navy is considering lengthening the standard deployment of attack submarines beyond six months as it faces rising demands with a fleet that has been shrinking since the end of the Cold War. And no, we can't explain what those rising demands are considering we're having wars in Afghanistan, which is landlocked, as well as Iraq, which has a very small seacoast. And we're talking about attack subs, whose main mission, as far as I know, is to attack other subs. Apparently, Vice Admiral John Richardson told the AP last week, quote, I think we're looking at all options. As you try and maintain the same presence with fewer hulls, there are all sorts of variables in that equation. One would be extending deployment lengths, so that's certainly on the table. The article notes in somewhat clearer language that critics describe the multi-billion dollar vessels as a costly relic of a different era. We did promise a follow-up on this topic, and then we're going to deliver sometime probably in December. And I uh, would note that one of the greatest interviews we've had the pleasure of conducting for this program is that discussion we conducted with Ray Bradbury, the illustrious author. New Scientist magazine did a review of a new book titled Becoming Ray Bradbury, which I thought was pretty cool. Article notes that Bradbury was particularly inspired by the anthropologist Loren Isley's ability to convey sensation in his writings through rhythmic and metaphor-rich prose. Bradbury went on to craft his own writing style in essays which he aimed at lay readers. These included two Life magazine articles in the 1960s, Cry the Cosmos and An Impatient Gulliver Above Our Roofs, 
which played a key role in maintaining public support for NASA's Apollo space program. This correspondent has been a big fan of going into space, and I, I remain so. But I had to laugh at the, uh, the revelation in this essay that for all his fascination with technologic process, Ray Bradbury himself was wary of using it. He successfully avoided flying for decades and never did learn how to drive an automobile. Notes that Bradbury himself summed up his own role in a 1975 seminar where he said, That's my business, to find the metaphor that explains the space age, and along the way, write stories. If you haven't heard it, we certainly would uh, advise you to check out the wonderful interview we, we had with Ray Bradbury, which is available on our archives at radioparallax.com. Now let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for spurring new job growth with news that Hallmark Cards has introduced a new line of sympathy cards for people who have just been fired. One apparently reads, don't think of it as losing your job. Think of it as a timeout between stupid bosses. Hallmark says the cards were designed to help the unemployed focus on the hopeful side of things. And it was conversely a bad week last week for Hank Williams Jr., who apparently was let go by the cable TV sports network ESPN. Apparently he said on the Fox News program Fox and Friends that for President Obama to go out in the golf links with House Speaker John Boehner was like Hitler playing golf with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. As to clarify this remark, Williams said, they're the enemy, adding that by they he meant Obama and Vice President Joe Biden, which apparently was too much even for Fox. Apparently when anchor Gretchen Carlson later said to him, you used the name of one of the most hated people in all of the world to describe, I think, the president. Williams replied, well, that's true, but I'm telling you like it is. There's a tear in my beard Cause I'm crying for you, dear You are yeah, we suspect there's quite a few tears and quite a few beers in front of Hank Williams Jr. right about now. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for, I don't know whether it's children or radio stations or maybe just all of us, with the revelation that an Islamist radio station in Somalia had awarded assault rifles and grenades as prizes to the three children who'd won a Koran recitation competition. Apparently, Andalus Radio said the first prize was an AK-47 and $700. Second prize, an AK-47 and $500. And third prize was two hand grenades and $400. The three children also reportedly received religious books. Station is run by Al-Shabaab, an Al-Qaeda-linked organization in which the U.S. lists as a terrorist group. It has apparently imposed strict Sharia law in some in the areas of Somalia which it controls, whereupon it has outlawed movies, most music, and dancing, even at weddings. Mr. Merlin, I, I dare you to come up with a song for this one. Praise the Lord, we're on a mighty mission. Call the Lord, we're not a going fish. 
Smartly done, sir. All right, from the Only in America file, we have a couple items. According to the National Enquirer, not always the most reliable source, but at the same time, not always an unreliable source, Jane Fonda's dog is Hollywood's most spoiled pet. Reportedly, the 73-year-old actress always warms the dog's blanket in a dryer to make sure Tulia feels extra snug when she's relaxing on her cushion. She also apparently places organic aromatherapy spritzes through the house to help Tulia relax. And no, we have no information on the effectiveness of aromatherapy spritzes on your dog. But if anyone at UC Davis's veterinary facilities has any data on this, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. According to the Inquirer, for the dog's weekly massage, Fonda has two massage tables set up so she can lie alongside Tulia as they both get a rub down. And if any veterinary authorities have any data on the effectiveness of massage on Jane Fonda, please also drop us a line at info at And uh, I guess the next item would come from the, no, we swear to God, we're not making this up file. Apparently, an inmate named Thomas McCullough, age 63, serving a 30-year sentence, has gotten permission to leave jail for a few hours a week so he can chop down trees. Mr. McCullough is, in fact, serving his sentence for the 1976 triple axe murder of a nurse, patient, and policeman. Nevertheless, he's apparently being allowed to leave prison on occasion to take a course in wilderness preservation, which includes instruction in tree chopping. Reportedly, some prison officials are not happy about it. One spokesman said, I don't think it's a good idea to let a murderer like McCullough near sharp instruments such as axes. That could be a disaster waiting to happen. Come on, what could go wrong? Yeah, we said in last week's show we may talk about uh, that excellent Atlantic article, The Shame of College Sports, but you know what? Won't feel like it today. We're going to postpone that one. We'll see if we can't get our sports broadcasting expert, Sean Minton, to come on and kick that one around with us. And from the Arnold Schwarzenegger file, and we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't really have an Arnold Schwarzenegger file, but, well, actually, I guess today we do. We have the two following items. First from the Sacramento Bee. Apparently it's official. The former governor is penning an autobiography, which is tentatively titled Total Recall, My Unbelievably True Life Story. Publisher Simon & Schuster is characterizing it as a larger-than-life portrait of his illustrious, controversial, and ever-entertaining life in and out of the public eye. Here's how the news release told the storyline. Chronicling his embodiment of the American dream, the former California governor discusses the high-stakes journey into the United States creating the international bodybuilding industry out of the sands of Venice Beach, breathing life into cinema's most iconic characters, and becoming one of the leading political figures of our time, combating global warming and partisan bureaucracy. We presume they're meaning to put this in the nonfiction section. And despite the purple prose in that press release, apparently a strange former First Lady Maria Shriver wasn't mentioned. 
But uh, never one to be shy in the art of self-promotion, Arnold is apparently, according to the New York Daily News, commissioned several gargantuan bronze statues of himself to be displayed around the world. The first of the eight-foot-tall, 580-pound statues depict Schwarzenegger during his bodybuilding days that was recently shipped to his homeland in Austria. Sculptor Tim Parks said Schwarzenegger's talked about casting as many as seven of the effigies, adding he definitely wants one for himself. Now, we're big promoters of international travel on this program, but we have some sad news for you. If you were planning to go to China to attend the annual Dog Meat Festival, it's our duty to report that the festivities have been canceled this year. Apparently, the Jin Hua Hutao Dog Meat Festival, as, as it's called, was canceled last week after local officials were shamed by an online campaign begun by animal rights activists. Apparently, pet ownership is growing rapidly among the Chinese, and as more middle-class uh, citizens gain dogs and cats as pets, um, well, animals once slated for the pantry are now housed in playpens. And as far as we know here at Radio Parallax, Jane Fonda had nothing to do with this cancellation. This apparently is a 600-year-old local custom based on the fact that apparently uh, someone named Hu Dahai, a rebel who was battling the Yuan dynasty in the 14th century, ordered all the dogs in Jinhua to be slaughtered because their barking had warned rebels in the city of his army's approach. His soldiers were treated to dog meat, the story goes, and eating dog has been a custom at local temple fairs ever since. But when kids bite dogs, they yell, No, people of the, the Armor Corporation were just kidding. We know of no real-world connection between Armor Hot Dogs and the Jinhua Hutao Dog Meat Festival. Any resemblance between the two is purely coincidental. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We got plenty more. Stick around. Hot dogs, Armor Hot Dogs. What kinds of kids eat Armor Hot Dogs? Kids with chicken pox love hot dogs. Armor hot dogs. The dogs kids love to bite. Picking it up on the old banjo. Put on the mustard and away we go. When men bite dogs, there's news they say. But when kids bite dogs, they yell. Hooray! Bye. 